first criminal president. Donald Trump didn't do it alone. Every day that appears, every day that goes by appears to bring us closer to a Trump indictment on serious felony charges, most likely including violations of the Espionage Act. There's considerable speculation it may come as early as today. Most Americans view Donald Trump as an aberration, a one-off, the exception. He's our first criminal president, they think, the first to have committed crimes to get into office while in office or both. Most Americans in this regard are wrong. And it's a tragic statement about both the way we teach American history in our schools and the way our corporate media deals with past presidential crimes. If previous Republican presidents had been held to account for their crimes the way it appears Trump is about to be, Trump may well have not been as brazen in everything from his violations of the Hatch Act to the Espionage Act to his explicitly asking Vladimir Putin to intervene in the 2016 election. Everybody knows that Richard Nixon got caught orchestrating and then covering up a break-in at the DNC headquarters in the Watergate complex and that he avoided going to prison by resigning his office. Yet it's no secret that Nixon committed a far more serious crime, naked treason, just to get into office in the first place. When the LBJ White House tapes were released in 2013, the world learned that Johnson had negotiated a secret deal with the Vietnamese to end the war in the late fall of the election year of 1968. Nixon got wind of it, and through a campaign aide during a meeting in his New York apartment, reached out to the South Vietnamese ambassador offering inducements to pull out of the peace talks and scuttle a deal which they then abandoned just as it was about to be signed. The FBI was bugging the Vietnamese ambassador and conveyed the plot to President Johnson, who then called Everett Dirksen, the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, to ask for help in stopping Nixon. President Johnson phoned the Republican Senate leader. Uh, you can hear, you can listen to the entire conversation here uh, President Johnson, some of our folks, including some of the old China lobby, are going to the Vietnamese embassy and saying, please notify the South Vietnamese president that if he'll hold out till November 2nd, they can get a better deal. Now, I'm reading their hand. I don't want to get this in the campaign, and they oughtn't to be doing this, Everett. This is treason. Senator Dirksen, I know. Polling showed that Vice President Humphrey was going to easily win the election, so LBJ chose not to disrupt the process by publicly accusing Nixon of treason. Knowledge of the crime went with Johnson, Humphrey, and Dirksen to their graves after Nixon won the election in an unexpected upset. But we've known about Nixon's double dealing for a full decade. We've known that Nixon's treason led to the death of an additional 22,000 Americans and more than a million Vietnamese, all entirely unnecessary and the fruit of a monstrous crime just to seize the White House. Imagine what Republicans would be saying to this day if it was proven that JFK, for example, had committed treason to beat Nixon in 1960. Everybody in America would be able to recite chapter and verse of the story. Republicans are still so committed to the idea that Chicago's Mayor Daley stole the election for JFK that the New York Times saw fit to publish a review debunking a 2022 book reasserting that claim. If Nixon's crime was at least frequently referenced by the media and Democratic politicians, Trump may have thought twice about all his campaign secret dealings with Russians and his open solicitation of their help, or of hiring a Putin agent to run his campaign. Similarly, just three months ago, the world learned for sure what the former Iranian president had been trying to tell us since 2013, that Reagan committed a similar treason to win the White House in 1980. 
during the Carter-Reagan election battle of that year, then-President Carter had reached a deal with newly elected Iranian President Abul Hassan Bani Sadr to release the 52 hostages held by the students at the American embassy in Tehran. Bani Sadr was a moderate and, as he explained in an editorial for the Christian Science Monitor, successfully ran for president that summer on the popular position of releasing the hostages. Quote, I openly opposed the hostage-taking throughout the election campaign. I won the election with over 76% of the vote. Other candidates also were openly against hostage-taking, and overall 96% of the votes in that election were given to candidates who were against hostage-taking. Carter was confident that with Bonnie Sodder's help, he could end the embarrassing hostage crisis that had been a thorn in his political side ever since it began in November of 1979. Reagan's campaign surrogates had been ridiculing Carter, calling him weak and ineffective. But behind Carter's back, the Reagan campaign worked out a deal with the leader of Iran's radical faction, Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khomeini, to keep the hostages in captivity until after the 1980 presidential election. Khomeini needed spare parts for American weapon systems the Shah had purchased for Iran, and the Reagan campaign was happy to promise them. The Reagan campaign's secret negotiations with Khomeini, the so-called 1980 Iran-Contra October surprise, sabotaged President Carter's and Iranian President Bani Sadr's attempts to free the hostages. As President Bani Sadr told the Christian Science Monitor in March of 2013, quote, After arriving in France in 1981, I told a BBC reporter that I had left Iran to expose the symbiotic relationship between Khomeiniism and Reaganism. Ayatollah Khomeini and Ronald Reagan had organized a clandestine negotiation, later known as the October Surprise, which prevented the attempts by myself and then U.S. President Jimmy Carter to free the hostages before the 1980 U.S. presidential election took place. The fact that they were not released tipped the results of the election in favor of Reagan, end quote. The Iran hostage crisis continued and torpedoed Jimmy Carter's re-election hopes. And the same day Reagan took the oath of office, to the minute, as Reagan put his hand on the Bible, by way of Iran's acknowledging the deal, the Ayatollah released the American hostages. Keeping his side of the deal, Reagan began selling the Iranian regime weapons and spare parts in 1981 and continued until he was busted for it in 1986, producing the so-called Iran-Contra scandal. The New York Times confirmed the crime in March of this year when former Republican Speaker of the Texas House and Lieutenant Governor Ben Barnes the guy who got George W. Bush into the Texas Air National Guard to keep him out of Vietnam as a favor to then-Congressman George H.W. Bush, laid out the story. He'd known about it because he was on the trip with former Texas Governor John Connolly to France where the deal was cut. History needs to know that this happened, Barnes, now 85, told the Times. I think it's so significant, and I guess knowing that the end is near for President Carter put it on my mind more and more. I just feel like we've got to get it down some way. Had Bonnie Sauter been taken seriously, had the investigations into Iran-Contra not been blown up by then-Attorney General Bill Barr and President George H.W. Bush pardoning the main criminals involved on Christmas Eve of 1992 as he was leaving office, Trump may have thought twice about sharing top-secret national security documents with random spies hanging around Mar-a-Lago and Bedminster, or sending Rand Paul on a private mission to hand-deliver still-unknown secret documents to Putin's people in Moscow in 2017. Similarly, if Nixon and Reagan had been prosecuted, or at least outed, Jared Kushner may have been less enthusiastic about sharing top-secret information with MBS that helped him stage a palace coup and take over Saudi Arabia, 
an apparent crime for which MBS appears to have, been re- to have rewarded both Kushner and Trump with billions of dollars. As the Jerusalem Post reported on March 23, 2018, quote, Kushner, who is the son-in-law of President Donald Trump and the Crown Prince, had a late October meeting in Riyadh. A week later, Mohammed began what he called an anti-corruption crackdown. The Saudi government arrested and jailed dozens of members of the Saudi royal family in a Riyadh hotel. Among them, Saudi figures named in a daily classified brief read by the president and his closest advisors that Kushner read avidly. According to the report, Mohammed told confidants that he and Kushner discussed Saudis identified in the classified brief as disloyal to Mohammed. The day before, both CBS and The Intercept quoted MBS as gloating that Kushner was in his pocket. The Washington Post noted that, quote, recently ousted Secretary of State Rex Tillerson and National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster expressed early concern that Kushner was freelancing U.S. foreign policy and might make naive mistakes, according to people familiar with their reactions. National Security Advisor McMaster was concerned that there were no official records kept of what was said on the calls. Tillerson was even more aggrieved, they said, once remarking to staff, who is the Secretary of State here? Weirdly, our media is so invested in both sides' narratives that unless they can point to a crime by a Democratic president, they seem to have no interest in reporting on Republican presidential crimes. Is that Trump thought he could get away with whatever he did in office and afterwards. As Donald Trump faces the music for a small slice of the crimes he committed against our nation and our democracy, let's not forget that he's not the first. He didn't do this alone. He was simply carrying on a Republican tradition that stretches all the way back to 1968.